few years ago, I started a podcast segment, but in order for it to continue, I had to add someone else so the podcast could become something else. This is the Arrow Retrospective. How are you doing tonight, Greg? You know, I'm really sorry, but uh, I wasn't actually able to watch any of the episodes this week, so I'm kind of, uh, you're going to have to pick up the slack for this episode. Greg, you have failed this podcast. That's okay. I didn't watch any either. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, and I kept checking the channels, but uh, it seems like all the shows have stopped for the season. Yeah, I think it has something to do with the fact that none of the Earths are there, not even ours. It's all gone. We're like in limbo, and there are only like seven humans. Nope, not even seven humans. There's one Kryptonian, one Martian, a few humans, and Lex Luthor left. That sounds like the strangest season of uh, MTV's The Real World. You know what? It probably is the most strangest season of the real world that was ever conceived. That's probably where they got the idea from. Yeah, no. It's yeah, going to be an I, arrow I, retrospective I, tonight, folks. Actually, you know, I would watch that show. I probably would, too, to be quite honest. <laughs> DC's uh, The Real World. Uh, real World uh, Vanishing Points. Oh, every so often, you know, uh, Lex Luthor can switch places with Superman because like, they keep stealing the page from the Book of Destiny and crossing out Lex's name and rewriting Superman. So Brandon Routh's Superman keeps coming back in and out. Well, I mean, Brandon Ruth was kind of kicked out of the shows. So Lex Luthor is just his uh, replacement for this season. Uh, that still bugs me a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, Talking Crisis is actually not why we're here tonight. We're here for two reasons. It's the 23rd of December, and uh, this is technically our Christmas episode. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for listening when you probably have better things to do. Or listening while you have the better, doing the better things to do that you have to do. That would be yes, even better. Happy, happy Life Day, everybody. Yes, Happy Life Day. Happy Hanukkah. Have a Merry Christmas. Joyeux Noël, which is just it in French. And whatever else you can think of that I missed, because I probably missed a slew of them. <laughs> You know, I actually uh, started watching the Star Wars Holiday Special uh, last <laughs> weekend, but uh, my wife, uh, my wife uh, begged me to turn it off a third of the way through. The Wookiee speak was just too much for just her. too much for her. Well, yeah, it would be because it didn't subtitle that thing. I mean, you can't really tell what's going on. It's just a bunch of basically. <laughs> you know, there was a interesting podcast that I listened to afterwards about. Um, that's uh, all about like um, the history behind how that all uh, was set up and everything. I'll, I'll have to send you the link afterwards, but it's uh, really fascinating, actually. Oh, but yeah, um, let's, uh, you know, with uh, crisis and uh, the changes coming to uh, the CW um, with uh, Arrow, with uh, Stephen R. Malm choosing to uh, walk away, uh, we figured that it would be a good chance, uh, well, the best time uh, to kind of do an Arrow retrospective, considering that uh, all the CW shows are, uh, the superhero shows are really owe a debt of gratitude to what Arrow did. Oh, absolutely. Without Stephen Armel and the cast and crew of Arrow, there would be no Flash, there would be no Supergirl, there would be no DC TVU right now. It would all be done because it would never have started. We'd be talking about something else. If 
if we were talking about anything at all right now. Exactly. Well, you and I would be talking about pipes probably, but the, probably. Rest, the rest of the people doing podcasting stuff for the for these shows, who knows what they'd be talking about, if anything. I think, um, let's see, why don't we, uh, how did you first learn about uh, Arrow? Did you, were you on it like from day one or was it something that you uh, discovered? I learned about it like, uh, I was, I don't forget what, what I was watching. I, 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 you know, I caught one of the TV commercial trailers for the new show, Arrow, that was coming up. I was thinking, okay, Arrow. I, was, I, watched the, I watched the commercial. Going, I think they're doing a take on the Green Arrow from the comics. And that interested me because, well, well, as I make no, no secret of, I am not or have never have been a real comic book reader. I do know who the general superheroes are that are mo- are fairly well known, and uh, I'm saying, okay, this looks like it's like a Green Arrow origin thing. This could be interesting. So, I tuned in episode one, season one, and watched till about maybe a quarter to halfway through season five, where the uh, whole oh, what was that character's name? Prometheus. Prometheus, yeah. Arsenal was something else. Same universe, different different character. But uh, right. yeah, until half about quarter way through Prometheus, is I I bought the like I was watching it on cable, but then you know we we dumped our cable for a while, and I started buying box sets of seasons to keep up as they came out. So I was constantly a year behind. But uh, yeah, then uh, when uh, it was uh, said that um, this was going to be the final season of Arrow, I started, well, watching from day one of season eight right through till Crisis and through Crisis. And there are only a couple episodes left, but even though the crisis set up and all that was over, I'm going to finish out the season. I watched the last two episodes, which air after Crisis is over next nice. month. Well, for me, I, um, you know, I don't exactly remember how I, uh, first heard about it but i know i was there for day one um i was uh really excited for uh for it once i learned about it um like i wasn't like a big uh cw um fan but uh you know that was more of like my my wife was a you know she watches uh, or at least watched supernatural and uh i might have heard about it through there um well but I am plugged into like a lot of like the comic book stuff. And this was about a year after um, the new 52 uh, first debuted in the comics. So I think that was probably how I first heard about it. Um, But I was excited for any sort of uh, new DC content because you have to remember like um, when Arrow came onto the scene in uh, 2012, uh, this was like, you know, earlier in the summer, that was um, The Dark Knight Rises, yep, yep. which was uh, the very last uh, movie in the Nolan Batman trilogy. Um, Green Lantern had come and gone in 2011, and, you know, that was basically like a flop, which, you know, in retrospect, well, I wasn't surprised by it, even though I did enjoy the movie for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know there was always this talk about uh, DC cinematic universe, and uh, with Green Lantern basically bombing it uh, or disappointing, 
that basically really put um, threw a wrench into things. And then we ended up getting stuff like uh, Man of Steel after that. And even Man of Steel is a bit of a disappointment. But um, all this to say, um, I was just excited for more DC content. And, uh, you know, it's funny that, uh, you know, we had the Nolan universe, uh, the, the Nolan Batman uh, trilogy coming to an end because you can tell that uh, the Nolan Batman films had a very specific and uh, important influence on Arrow. Oh yeah, definitely. Like this was, this was pretty much like a, a CW, the CW's take on uh, uh, the Nolan, the Nolan Batman films from, from my perspective. Yeah, I can see that. I can see where you got that from. Because we have like a, a superhero, um, you know, rich guy um, that has a, a purpose, you know, a dead parent, um, and is uh, fighting crime mainly with his own abilities rather than a superpower. And so, with the especially with the first season, it's all very grounded in the real world. And yeah. uh, I, I mainly think that that was mainly because of uh, the Nolan verse. And, you know, I'm not sure whether they originally planned that they were eventually going to branch out into superpowers or anything. Um, I think they've kind of put the seeds in that in season two. Yeah. But, uh, like looking into, uh, looking back at season one, uh, it's very grounded in, uh, in reality with a uh, very little, uh, fantasy elements other than, uh, a guy jumping around rooftop to rooftop with a bow and arrow. Oh yeah, definitely. I remember back when uh, season one was still going, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, MJ, he uh, was watching it too. And he gave up on the show like before the end of season one. And I asked him why, and he's just going, it's too soap opery. And I'm saying, what the heck are you talking about? At that point, the show hadn't even gotten to its soap opery type elements yet. Oh goodness. Yeah. Now, I, I, I can see a claim from that from about season three on to where I watched because there was just a lot of drama going on between Oliver and Felicity and on again, off again, and he shed, sea shed, and all that stuff, and that didn't come out right, but you guys all followed what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Tripping over my own dentures. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's funny that you say that because – um Looking back, like it's been a while since I've seen, I don't even think I've rewatched season one since I first saw it, even though um, I really enjoyed it. But going into the show and, and seeing the uh, cast of characters, it seemed like the love interest was supposed to be uh, uh, Laurel Lance, uh, Katie Cassidy. Like that, it seems like what they mm-hmm. originally had planned for a character. And, uh, you know, I knew they would eventually get to the Black Canary because the Black Canary and Green Arrow are mm-hmm. so uh, intertwined together. But so I, I always assumed that it would be Laurel that would be um, the Black Canary. But the interesting thing about that is that um, once they introduced Felicity, um, I it seemed like the fans really gravitated towards her. And so whenever there would be... Um, you know, you'd have the two scenes between 
Oliver and Laurel and Oliver and Felicity. Laurel was supposed to be the love interest, I think, but fans didn't really accept Laurel. Um, I, I remember reading online that a lot of people, like that was like their most hated character out of the initial cast for the first season. And uh, it was Felicity that everyone seemed to jump on. And because of that, I believe that they slowly kind of changed things so that uh, Oliver did eventually start uh, pursuing uh, Felicity, especially in like season two and season three. And then, you know, really becoming a a soap opera after that. Yeah, I I think they could have done on this show without the soap opera elements of how that relationship went back and forth. I mean, it worked for people. The I don't know if they did that for, and I'm not trying to be misogynistic here, but I, I honestly think they did that for the, the female aspect because they're the ones that typically, the stereotype is females are into the, into the soaps. My wife's not. I, don't, I can't speak to, to your wife, but I know, uh, and my mom wasn't, but my grandma was. So like, there's, always the, there's always the, you know, different people, different tastes. But I honestly think they may have done that. But one interesting thing I found out this week as I was perusing certain YouTube videos and whatnot, I came across one that was a list of top 10 things you didn't know about Arrow. One of the things was that a lot of the characters that are main characters now currently in the show were meant to be one-offs. And Felicity Smoke was made a character for that first episode where Oliver used her to do his research. She wasn't supposed to come back after that. But like you said, the fans jumped right on that character and enjoyed her so much in the immediate chemistry that those two had in that scene and brought her back and brought her back and brought her back and eventually main character. Same with Diggle. Actually, he was not meant to be more than a two or three episode uh, character. That's uh, I, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, well, I, I know that Felicity wasn't uh, planned to be like a, the character that she became. Uh, I know, like in the comics, she's actually a uh, Firestorm character, and um, but because of uh, her uh, performance, uh, she just became like a, a major part of the cast, and really. Um, probably the second most important character in the entire series. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Which in, in a way it's a little sad that the way they're, they, they've played, played this. I mean, I, I know, uh, I can't think of her name right now, but the actress that plays Felicity smoke bowed out at the end of season seven based on some things, some articles I read, but, uh, it's, it's too bad. Cause it would have been nice to have her running around a little bit during the crisis and whatnot too, instead of, off with baby baby Mia and William being off with his mom or whatever. Right. Yeah. You can, um, uh, sure. Absence is definitely missed. Yeah. Cause in, in the, in the previous crossovers, um, earth X, uh, the dominators, even the, the very first one, uh, the crossover, uh, between just arrow and flash Felicity was there. She's been in practically every arrow flash crossover except this one, the big one. Well, yeah, and and even in um, Flash, like, um, she was, you know, 
that she was the main character that they kept bringing over on to Flash yeah, yeah. to kind of uh, make sure that Flash uh, succeeded and uh, had a carryover audience. I don't think that that's uh, any sort of like a surprise, really, because, uh, you know, she's just uh, really good at what she does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm gonna have to keep out a keep an eye out of her her future projects and see what she's in. See if it's gonna be something I'm gonna enjoy. Just because I like to keep track of actors, uh, actors and actresses I like, and I like the way she played. I'd never seen her before Arrow, but I hope to see her in something uh, something after. I I know she's been in other things like on hiatuses and whatnot, but nothing that would pique my interest. But one of these days, I'm sure she'll be in something that I'll that I'll uh, that I'll like. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I eventually want to see uh, the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie uh, uh, by Michael Bay, just so I can see uh, Stephen Armel as uh, Casey Jones. I have seen that performance, and he does well as Casey Jones. But you know, you know, it's just with that particular character, it's just a matter of okay, he's he's doing early Oliver Queen, right? Um. And, and, you know, it's funny because, like, uh, for me, I like, if there's uh, one character that I kind of felt bad about, it was uh, uh, Laurel Lance, just because, uh, you know, I knew, you know, that I, I had heard that, you know, she had originally been planned to be, like, the love interest and, you know, Black Canary. And uh, I really feel like um, th- those first two seasons... Um, I don't really blame Katie for this um, because actually I would say of all the characters, like in terms of like their talent and, and everything uh, from what I've watched, Katie's really grown since mm-hmm. that first season. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, she's actually like one of my favorites uh, in season eight right now. Oh yeah. definitely. And, uh, and granted, you know, she's playing kind of like, uh, you know, like the Laurel Lance from season one and season two, it's, you know, more straight laced and then season two is more, you know, like she's struggling with uh, alcoholism. Um, season three is really where she, uh, when they finally gave her the chance to be a canary, uh, the canary, which, you know, it came at the expense of killing off um, Sarah Lance, mm-hmm. which, you know, we'll get to her eventually, which I was disappointed with at first, not for Katie, but just because uh, Sarah's so good. Yeah. Um, but that really, helped uh laurel out i think um has uh if there's one thing that i have to say this show does really well it's um especially when you compare it to like uh you know some of the movies out there um these days it's that um you know you get to see these characters fail and uh poor laurel like she was getting her butt kicked early on like pretty bad and, uh, you know, they eventually did that with Curtis, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in season five uh, as Mr. Terrific. Um, but seeing her grow into actually becoming, you know, the Black Canary, I actually think was one of the finest points of the show. And uh, kind of it, like I was very disappointed when they, they killed the uh, Earth One Laurel Lance off. And uh, Yeah, me too. That was pretty random. Uh, yeah, no, it was very random. Um, I still don't necessarily agree with you know their decision to do that, 
And I think, you know, Katie's done a good job kind of recovering from that, you know, playing a different character and uh, doing different things. And uh, in the end, I, I think, you know, she's definitely one of the most interesting, like, stories of the show. Definitely. Um, but, you know, I guess, well, first of all, let, you know, let's spend a little bit of time on, uh, on season one and, and really, uh, you know, and, and look at Steven's story uh, because, uh, you know, this is what they did with the first five seasons of Arrow, um, which they didn't do for the other CW shows, which I think was probably a smart choice um, just because it kind of hampered Arrow as it went on for some yeah. of the seasons was that, you know, it mixed in um, Stephen with what he, uh, you know, Oliver with what he was doing, um, you, know, it, you know, currently, and then it would jump five years in the past. Yeah. So season, you know, season one, it all takes place on uh, Leon Yu as he uh, goes from being this, uh, you know, shipwrecked uh, rich kid into becoming, uh, you know, a formidable fighter. Uh, thanks to his um, trainer, and then eventually, uh, which I, I'm forget, blinking on his name, um, you know, the guy that first taught him how to use a bow and arrow, and then right. eventually it, it went to um, uh, Deathstroke, uh, mm -hmm. Slade. Yep, Slade Wilson. Slade Wilson. Um, so, uh, but in the, the interesting thing about it was just, uh, it wasn't just the crime fighting aspects that was... Uh, fascinating to watch but also the family drama right which i don't know if uh he, your friend was referring that the family drama aspect of it he was, wasn't specific um, about that uh, i mean because i could see it kind of being a little bit you know like you you know you have speedy that's um athea that's you know kind of struggling with a drug addiction and being wild um but the mother um and I'm blanking on her name, but Oliver's mother, she's really a, an interesting character. And she was actually one that really, I think a lot of fans actually latched on. Um, because, you know, she's, you know, very protective of her son. But as you, as the season goes along, you realize that, oh, she's actually like one of the bad people, that, you know, that's, uh, you know, working to uh, destroy the glades. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, the stepfather figure who, who really was only in season one. I'm blanking on his name as well, but, uh, you know, he was, a, he didn't play as much of a, a role in the events that were going on, but, you know, I, I thought that he did a pretty good job too. Um, just kind of balancing everything out with the family drama. And then you had, um, Tommy and Malcolm Merlin. Yep. Yep. And, uh, man, like Tommy was, uh, a really great character in season one, uh, just kind of acting as kind of a little bit of like sometimes being the moral conscience, you know, cause he did not approve of, uh, Oliver. Well, once he realized that Oliver was the error, like, uh, the hood, um, you know, he wasn't exactly sure what to think of everything. Yeah. And they and they definitely uh, were at odds with each other at times over it. 
Now, I can't remember from uh, season one, but did Tommy ever find out that Malcolm was the Black Archer? Yes. Yeah, because I knew, I knew Thea found that out the, the season they revealed that uh, Malcolm was actually Thea's father. Right. No, it's a, you know, one of those things that I kind of want to go back and uh, rewatch this season. Just because it's so different because Arrow, um, for the most part, Oliver isn't taking on like supervillains. Like there's some that he takes on, like um, uh, like he takes on Deadshot, and yeah. Deadshot uh, ends up being kind of like a major, minor character for the first three seasons. Um, kind of having a, a really interesting arc with both um, Oliver and Diggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you had, um, in my opinion, who was like the the oddest choice. Um, for the season, that was uh, Count Vertigo. Mm. Yeah, that was a weird choice. I realize why um, they did it, but they didn't necessarily need to invent a new drug in order to, uh, you know, progress Thea's storyline. They could have just been any old thing. Well, I think what because Count Vertigo is essentially uh, one of Oliver's major villains. Yeah. Like definitely, definitely one of the top two, uh, if not the number one. And uh, I feel like Count Vertigo suffered from the show trying to be more in the real world because yeah. they made because they made and making it more like the Nolanverse because um, you know. Count Vertigo's abilities, you know, is that he affects your you know, equilibrium and right. you know gives you vertigo, and uh, you know you have the first Count Vertigo, and I don't know, like it, it seems like they were trying to make the the first Count Vertigo be more like uh, Oliver's uh, Joker slash yeah. Riddler kind of like a villain, where he didn't have any powers; it was just uh, you know. He was more of just like a, a crime boss that, you know, he, his advantage was him basically injecting you with drugs. Yeah. Um, which was, uh, would have been my uh, total fear as a kid, a, a, you know, a good, uh, you know, dare uh, program kid growing up. That was my, uh, my big fear. Um, but they, they didn't stick around with him very, very long and they uh, got rid of him. And then, uh, they, you know, they had the second Count Vertigo, uh, and I th- think they introduced him more when they were more willing to explore superpowers. Because I think yeah. he did have some Vertigo powers, but um, kind of like with what the problem that I had with the first couple seasons of The Flash, uh, it seemed like he was more of like a one or two off villain, and then he just kind of disappeared. And really, I feel like this is a character that should have been more like Malcolm Merlin where he was more it, where you could have built a season around him or at least was a, you know, reoccurring problem. Yeah. Yeah. Either of those is probably uh, a, a, a good thing on him. Like, he, they could have done a whole lot more with vertigo than they actually did. But uh, it's one of those things. There's really no sense in uh, worrying about it too much. Now it's over. It's done with, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a misstep that they made with that particular yeah. character. Yeah, it's, I still want to complain about it. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well, well um, because uh, we're yeah. not going to have too many uh, uh, opportunities to uh, 
complain about it beyond well, in 20 this. years whenever um they decide to reboot arrow or actually you know what you can do it with um green arrow and the canaries as you can have the count vertigo from the future yeah yeah you could do and, that uh, so uh you know i i hope they at least consider that but, but you know you have count vertigo but then you have uh merlin uh, malcolm merlin uh john barrowman for uh you know doctor who fans you know he was captain jack um and that and act you know i was a, a doctor who fan before coming into arrow like i've been watching it uh since 2007. uh so i was i was excited to see john barrowman because i at least i knew who he was okay um and uh and, and actually, that's not the only uh, Doctor Who um, connection that this show has, because uh, River Song, um, one of the companions, ended up playing um, the mother for um, both uh, Laurel and Sarah Lance. Okay. And so, so that was another fun uh, Doctor Who connection. Nice. Um, and of course, you know, you had uh, Arthur, uh, I'm blanking on his last name, but he, you know, played... Uh, uh, on Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Rip Hunter. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was uh, another uh, uh, companion of the Doctor. Um, but anyway, uh, Merlin, you know, ended up being a, a really nice uh, addition to the show. Um, and he has his own interesting arc too, where he kind of you know sometimes he's on the side of good, but for the most part, he's on the side of bad. Okay. But then he he also has that uh, connection with Thea. And also Tommy, you know, and wanting to be a good father, but also wanting to do bad things. And so that made that sort of uh, complication uh, pretty fun to watch. Yep. Yeah, I, That was one of the things in season one. I was always wondering about how he in his like, I was always wondering how Malcolm Merlin in his head was in. OK, I'm going to be a good father to my kids, but I'm also going to be this bad guy over here that's doing this thing to make things better because the glades killed my wife mm-hmm. so yeah that was just weird in a way but at the same time because the show was trying to be grounded in real life that's something that would actually happen i, I could see that being feasible in real life given the circumstances that were set up in arrow if that was an actual thing that had happened in real life you could see a group of rich people getting together and doing that exact thing, setting up a reckoning and trying to take out this whole section of population because they're just considered to be bad eggs and riffraff and they cause bad things to happen. You, you can see that happening. Mm-hmm. And the best villains are the one, like I was talking about with uh, Lex Luthor during our crisis episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the best villains are the ones that think that uh, they're doing the right thing. And Malcolm definitely fits that uh um you know that description like someone like uh, damien dark later on right who was just i mean he had his you know people that he cared for but for the most part he was just evil and delighted in being evil but uh in that case he was so over the top that it kind of made it fun yeah i do think as the malcolm merlin character went on through seasons when they started to focus more um comic booky with the show and took it out of real life 
then the character of Malcolm Merlin started to shine and not be so over the top because the over the top at that point is what the character needed. He needed to be over the top because now he was more a comic book villain than a real life villain. Right. Yeah, it definitely gave him more to work with. But uh, it, it, but yeah, in season one, yeah, it's mainly Oliver's story because he doesn't really have much of a, in terms of like a cast of like people really helping him. It was just basically him and then Diggle and uh, who you know got introduced pretty early on and really like, and then you had Felicity and Felicity, you know, taking care of the tech you have, um, but then you have uh, Diggle essentially being like his point man, um, you know, his backup. And even though like Diggle's never really been like, the one person to completely like save the day for a season. Right. Um, he's been kind of like a, a support beam uh, for the, for the building that is the flash uh, not the flash uh, with arrow. Um, you know, never outshining uh, Oliver, but you know, he keeps the story uh, grounded. Yep. Definitely keeps it fresh keeps it on track and then um and then one other character that uh, definitely shouldn't be uh, forgotten is uh captain lance mm. definitely shouldn't be forgotten he was a major part in the series until they i think they based on just based on season eight they killed him off at some point during right. after, I knew after the uh, or either after season five or after the point I stopped watching season five because Captain Lance was still alive when I stopped watching uh, Arrow. And I uh, he was in season uh, he was in season six. Uh, okay. I think that was the season that they got rid of him. But still, it was nice of them to to bring him back there for that one episode of uh, Arrow, where you know him and Earth Two Laurel were in the weird world that the Monitor had made for them to teach him a lesson. Right. Um, and, you know, like in season one, he essentially played like, um, you know, the character that, that was trying to catch um, Oliver, mm -hmm. you know, for because of uh, you know, his vigilante actions, the vigilante, as uh, me and my friend would, would say for fun whenever we would uh, talk about him. Um, but you know, he has one, you know, one of those like memorable arcs of, uh, yeah, you know, definitely, you know, being ultimately like his, uh, you know, support in the police force. Yep. Cause you know, every vigilante anti-hero like, uh, the green arrow or Batman or whatnot, they need that support of the police force. Otherwise they are unjustified, even though what they're doing is totally illegal, no matter whether they have the support of the force or not. Right. Like, you know, Jim Gordon is such a vital part of uh, Batman and Batman's mythology. And I think it was smart of them to introduce a character like that for Oliver. And uh, and really, you know, Captain Lance uh, just did a, a fantastic job in that role. Yep. Hmm. Who else should we talk about here? Well, we don't. We definitely don't have to go, as, you know, as extensive in each of the seasons. But I, no. I do think we can. Well, we can probably uh, at least make a 
comment a bit on each season and the elements that they introduce uh, rather than having to worry about the whole storyline. Oh, yeah, because um, even like going well, it's we 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 spent quite a bit of time on season one, which you should. It is the story with the most exposition, the most uh, setup in it. But uh, season two, the whole uh, Deathstroke season, as I like to think about it as, where uh, Slade Wilson was back and causing his Marikuru serum problems, which is what ended up giving us Arsenal and his plight. Yes, which I do think Roy was introduced in season one, but he was a very minor character, um, just kind of like mainly involved with uh, Thea's storyline. Yeah, yeah, Roy was a bartender at, uh, brought in as a bartender at uh, Verdant. Yeah. And that was basically his story there. At that yeah, point. I would say, um, no, definitely. But I would say season two, it was, is probably like the landmark season of, uh, of Arrow. Yeah. That's where we start getting a look at the characters as we know them today. When mm-hmm. we start getting the characters like Arsenal, we start getting the, the black canaries. And, um, I think that's when they started introducing, um, Sarah Lance's story too. Is in season yeah, right. Two. Cause that's, uh, because she's the Black Canary for uh, First, uh, yeah. season two. Um, and then it's also when they finally started opening the door to superpowers with uh, Marikuru. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, uh, you know, we also actually got a, our, an introduction to Barry Allen. Yep. Um, and a nice little two-parter, and they um, set that up really nicely for a, for a good two-parter. Um, and they actually also introduced, uh, Cisco and, uh, Caitlin, uh, later on, even though, uh, they had a very minor role, uh, in their episode, but they introduced mm-hmm. Star Labs with, uh, Deathstroke heading there to get some sort of MacGuffin, uh, for the story. But, you know, he shows up at Star Labs and, and chases, uh, Cisco and Caitlin a bit and then gets what he needs and leaves. But it, Yep. Sets that up for, for the Flash. Yep, they did a lot of good setup in Season 2 of Arrow, and that was a great, that two-parter with Barry was a great backdoor pilot for the Flash. Getting uh, getting Barry Allen established in the universe and uh, getting out all of us primed as soon as we, like, because uh, as soon as you saw Barry Allen in Arrow, you know that the Flash is either going to be a part of Arrow or going to be his own show. And I'm so glad they went his own show with it. Absolutely. Especially having you know, it, been a Flash uh, a Flash of the 90s fan. It was nice to see them bring back a Flash series. Right. And, uh, you know, that ending moment when Barry gets struck by lightning, you know, all I could think of was like, man, I, it's going to take forever to get to uh, the fall of 2014. Oh, yeah. That was a uh, long wait. It really was. But, uh, but, man, like, again, I know this is the, the our Arrow retrospective. But, man, when they did that and then they eventually did the long um, preview video for uh, the upcoming Flash season, like, I watched that, like, so much in preparation for when the Flash was going to debut. 
Oh, but yeah. uh, but Deathstroke, I mean, um, really, I mean, Merlin was more important overall, but um, I really felt like more than any other villain, I really felt like there was they were building this uh, showdown because this. Oh, yeah, definitely. This was their first real long um, story that they told because in season one, you know, you have Slade Wilson on the island. Uh, and so he's popping up in the flashbacks. So he is part of the show in season one, but he's essentially an ally to Barry yep, and to, definitely. to Oliver. Um, oh yeah. But you know, in season two, you know, that's when they flip the script and have a uh, Slade turn on Barry and <laughs> <laughs> uh, turn on Oliver. And uh, I just remember like each episode, like I felt like the stakes were being raised. Yeah. And uh, like, unlike other seasons where sometimes I'm just like, okay, like, like the, like the cicada season, it was just like, okay, come on. Like, yep. let's get to the end of this. Like I did not get that at all from um, the death stroke season. Like, I've, like every episode felt important. And I don't think other than like the only other arc, I, I would say that, really comes um is only able to surpass it is uh the reverse flash uh in uh in flash in terms of just building up a, a villain yeah for the season yeah because uh well this past summer we were watching uh re-watching the the first season of the flash and uh yeah you even even going back and watching the first season like that it was one of those things where you're sitting there going wow like even you're still, even though you know what's going to happen, you're still just as invested in rewatching it episode by episode as you were when it was first on. And I know that, you know, not every villain's going to hit the same way as these villains are. Um, but it just, it just shows how great these shows can be when they're just firing on every cylinder. And then, uh, and Sarah Lance, you know, she was a, a very good addition to season two. Like um, that core team of um, Oliver, Felicity, Diggle, and then Sarah. Like Sarah was able to really integrate herself into the team, like really just like that. And uh, it was, it's probably one of my favorite Arrow team combinations. Um, and honestly, I'm not surprised that Sarah eventually ends up ended up basically having her own show, even though she's part right. of an ensemble cast. Really, it's the White Canary and the Legends of Tomorrow because she leads that team, and it all starts with uh, you know Arrow season two, definitely. And then uh, you know it's funny to see how. Um, the canary cry evolved over time. Yeah. You know, with, with season two, it being this, um, electronic box that, uh, she would use for like her canary cry. And then when Laurel becomes, uh, the black canary in season three, it becomes kind of like this choker kind of, uh, right. Necklace that she wears. And then eventually, you know, we have, um, Diana, that's the, I think it's Diana that, uh, on, uh, that's her name on, on Arrow taking over as, uh, the Canary. 
and uh, having it be a, a meta ability. So it just kind of shows just how the show evolved over time with, uh, you know, eventually, eventually embracing it as a superpower. Right. And then, um, and I would say in this season, um, the, the flashbacks on the NU, you know, you had um, the Amazo, I think, mm-hmm. um, the, the ship, and uh, you had the scientist guy, which uh, uh, Tia, Tia Morrow, I think. I think you're right. Um, like it wasn't, it wasn't like uh, the most amazing um, storyline, but it was still like one of the better ones, I think, um, for for the flashbacks. Right, and and those flashbacks, as as corny as they were at sometimes, and distracting as they were, it they it, they still use them to great effect, setting up other uh, aspects of different uh, parts of the upcoming season. Like, uh, for mm-hmm. example, in season two there, I think it was the season two where he was trapped on the ship. That's where we were introduced to Anatoly for the first time. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that is where uh, Anatoly gets introduced. And, you know, he ends up playing, a, you know, a major uh, supporting role, you know, kind of going from, you know, ally to adversary to uh, uh, ally again. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and, and you know too, like the the fun part about Arrow was like they would introduce these mysteries of uh, Oliver's past in season one, and then for the most part they you know touch on all of that for all of um, the you know flashback episodes. Yeah, in season three um, we were we get to, to deal with the League of Assassins, League of Shadows. That's it, it's League of Shadows. Yeah, and this is where I would say some um, some people kind of started to, uh, for the most part, like season one and season two, I feel are universally um, held up as like the best uh, parts of Arrow. And season three, uh, when they start introducing a, a mystical element with the you know the um, League of Assassins and uh, Reja Ghoul, that's when I started seeing more of like a backlash again, or like uh, people not being as invested in the ongoing storyline of, uh, of Arrow. Right. Which uh, for me anyway, I, I had no problems with that. I thought it was a great season. Like I thought that they had a, had a good, uh, good clip to it. It moved well. The story, the overall stories were great. We got more on Anatoly in the flashbacks, going to Russia and whatnot for that. No, um, that, this was when he uh, went to uh, China. Oh, that's right. They did Russia. Oh, they, that's right. They did the Russian thing. They did half and half, half on the ship, half in Russia in season two. That's right. No, no. Um, Russia comes in season four. Oh, does it? Yes. Because uh, uh, well, yeah, that just goes three, to show. That just goes to show you how long it's been since I've actually watched the early seasons of Arrow. Yeah, well, they certainly did a, a good job. Well, and this it was kind of interesting because um, we assumed that Oliver spent those five years on the island, but then it's revealed, no, actually, uh, in season three, he's in China. And then in season four, uh, he goes to... And that, in season three, that's when he uh, meets up with Katana. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, 
works in, I think it's Hong Kong, uh, where, where he's at. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then in season four, that's when he goes into Russia. That's when he takes on a Dolph Lundgren. Right. Um, yeah. Season three. Um, I would say the, the best part about season three, it's when we see, you know, cause, uh, Sarah dies at the beginning yep. of season three and that sets up the Thea storyline, uh, which ends up with Thea ultimately becoming, um, speedy and one of the, um, one of Oliver's, uh, you know, partners uh, mm-hmm. for a time. And, uh, and really this is, uh, I would say season three is, uh, Thea's breakout season. Yes, it definitely um, is. Because uh, she's a fan favorite, uh, a lot of people really enjoy like her, her character, and this is when she finally stops being kind of like a character in distress and becomes more of a, you know, active participant in the storylines. Yeah, yeah, she spends more time with Malcolm getting trained, which probably wasn't the best choice in her case, but. It got her trained up, and she wasn't trained uh, up in the, in, the, in the same way that Oliver was, but made her a, a great partner for him to have in that particular regard, given uh, she could almost match him. Yeah, and I would say that, and, and you know, we had Roy in season two uh, basically becoming um, the Red Arrow slash Arsenal, and Roy was good, but I think what hampered Roy was the fact that uh, – I believe the actor that played Roy wasn't really uh, wanting to stick around for the show. It was kind of like a, a Robbie Arnell situation, uh, Arnell situation uh, on Flash as a firestorm, where right. you know, eventually, you know, just wanted to do other things. Um, I'm not. I know there's more of an explanation of what happened with that, um, but you know. Roy was a good character, but I feel like Thea really improved upon um, that uh, concept of another archer. Yeah. yeah even even more that. so than, um, say, like uh, Kid Flash mm-hmm. or, or Jesse Quick on uh, The Flash. Yeah, and then we got the um, season four stuff. Well, I will also say that um, the interesting, the other interesting thing about season three is that you know, uh, Reja Ghoul and his family, because you have uh, Talia yeah. and, uh, and Nissa. Well, I don't know if, I don't think Talia uh, was introduced just yet, but it was Nissa. Nissa, um, Nissa Al Ghul. Yeah, Nissa Al Ghul was introduced because uh, her and Sarah had, had a thing while Sarah was in Nana Parbat. Right, of, because uh, she was the one, yeah, she was the one that trained uh, Sarah to become. Um, the black canary and uh and you know nissa was a a fun character you know she uh had a lot of uh you know attitude and definitely um you know traded barbs with uh with oliver but uh she was a a just a fun kind of a side character that you know tended to be on the side of good but you never really uh you knew that one wrong word or one wrong action could uh, kind of really complicate matters with that relationship. Yeah, definitely. And then um, season four, that's when we uh, got into Damien Dark. 
Yes, that is. And that was the beginning of the end of uh, Arrow for me. I mean, not that I have any problem with the mystical stuff they did. It's just, it was harder to watch it. It was, it, it's not that it wasn't well done. I just didn't think it fit too well with the show. I mean, that's something that would have fit better on the show Constantine when it was going. Which, uh, ironically, Constantine makes a, his first cameo in um, <laughs> right. uh, season four uh, with uh, helping bring uh, Sarah Lance back. And ultimately, you know, he ends up on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. And I think, you know, I never watched Constantine when it was on. But I do feel like Constantine has been one of the better additions to uh, Legends, uh, at least from the last season. Yeah, I've not really, I didn't really see anything about Constantine. I knew the show existed, but I never got around to watching it. And uh, it's too bad. I'll have to probably, I'll probably make a, an effort to find it because what I've seen of the character and, and really the only times I saw Constantine in the Arrowverse was the cameos he made on Arrow. And this latest cameo he had in uh, Crisis. Well, I would say he's more of like a, a central player um, in a Crisis than uh, and less of a cameo. Because um, he's a, well, yeah, he did have really a big, with, big uh, part to do with uh, the last episode that we got, going and trying to find Oliver's soul and whatnot, which basically set that whole thing up for the Spectre issue. Mm -hmm. And really, I could have been, I actually would have been fine if Constantine had ended up being one of like the seven. Because, you know, he's, his character is a lot of fun just with, uh, you know, having that, you know, arrogant attitude. Right. Um, no, season seven, season seven's, a, well, not season seven, <laughs> uh, season four. Um, it, man, my, uh, I miss speaking a lot tonight. Um, you know, season four, it's a weird one. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy Damien Dark. Um, I do believe it was an odd choice to have as like a, a main mm -hmm. arrow villain, but, um, I have to say the actor that played Damien, uh, I've seen it. He's, he's kind of the, one of these guys that, um, I can't, I don't, I can't remember his name, but. The actor gets around a lot. Like oh, he he's does. Been in, uh, I've he's seen him in quite a few things. Um, but I'll give him this. Like, man, it seems like whenever he's on screen playing Damien, that he's just having the time of his life. Oh, because he is just because he is just chewing every scene that he is in. And um, like I, I, I remember for the crossover they had with that episode. Um, where the flash runs in and saves Oliver before Damien uh, can kill him. Um, like he's just having fun, like killing just like police officers and like choking mm -hmm. them with his like magic powers and going like, ah, 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 like making fun of the guy as he's like dying in front of them. You know, he certainly he has his own backstory that gives him, I think a little bit of sympathy, but overall he's one of those characters that's just evil for evil's sake. And is just, uh, having a good time doing that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I usually, when, when I was, when I was dealing with the, the, with, and this is, I think where I had the problem when I was dealing with Damien's powers, 
he reminded me so much, especially when he's doing the choking thing of Darth Vader. It's like he, he was like, okay, Damien's using the force. I mean, he's using his magical powers to force choke. I mean, choke. That's what was going on in my head the whole time. Because he seems such a Darth Vader character to me. Yeah, and you know his powers were. I felt like they were never really fully defined, and you know, and that's an important part to have with a, a oh, character. Yeah. And you know, you can't really have um, vague abilities; otherwise, it just kind of drives people crazy. Um, yeah. And this is, and you know, this is also the season where Laurel dies. Yep. Um, thanks to uh, to Damien, but. Um, you know, she goes out as a hero, and uh, but it's a shame because really, you know, Laurel. I feel like Laurel really struggled in season two. That um, alcohol storyline really mm-hmm. dragged on, and I feel it like it, it really caused a lot of people not to like her at all. Um, and really, it just kind of like took away from the action of what was really a great season, but. I think that, you know, the people behind the show kind of understood that and did what they could to rectify um, Laurel's character. Uh, And for all the faults of season three and season four, um, I would say Laurel and Thea both are um, real positives, you know, with, uh, with the show. Yeah, definitely. And, and I have to speak on uh, the, the death of Laurel there just for a little bit because this is where it was so like sudden. So it didn't get played right. I mean, even in that scene, in that, in that episode, the episode that killed her is like, okay, she's coming back. She's all good. They, her and Oliver are sitting there talking. They cut out to the hallway and then all of a sudden Oliver's coming out and Laurel's dead. Just like that. Yeah, it was, it was a poor choice. I think they wanted to, you know, every season kind of had like a death. In season one, you had Tommy yeah. kind of being like the big major death, and then season two, it was uh, Oliver's mother. Yeah, um, I can't remember who. Oh, season three, it was uh, Sarah, and then season four, it was uh, Laurel. And I, I would say of all of them, Laurel is the one that really I think they should have uh, stopped and thought about that some more. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily saying don't kill the character off because it's would would have changed the storyline as they were trying to deal deal with it. But the way they killed her off, like I mean, it looked like she was going to make a recovery, then all of a sudden she's just gone. Basically, it's like, what were you thinking in the White Riders' room? Did you just all of a sudden say, "Hey, we need to kill her off" because that's what we're supposed to do? But we've got her getting better. Well, she's just going to have to die suddenly then, with no explanation, and we're going to have to hope. That nobody notices. You know, you're right. That was, um, now that I'm thinking about it more, I remember exactly what happened. And yeah, I was really off, uh, put off by that. And uh, really disappointed. Because, you know, season three, you know, it was, Laurel played like a major part in that season. You know, you watch her finally get the chance, well, one of the, I will say one of the best things about season two for Laurel was at the end of that season, you know, there's this big crisis going on with all these people on Mercury right. and she charges in and actually, you know, saves a kid from danger, which is what 
inspires her, you know, especially once uh, her sister dies is, you know, to take her place. Yeah. So she has this great character motivation and, uh, you know, they build her up and then season four, she's really competent at what she does. You know, she's a, a you know, just another member of the team um, that's dependable. Mm-hmm. And then it just uh, like that, she's gone. And while, you know, the Earth 2 laurels, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, she is, they have found ways to make her interesting. Um, I still feel like they made a mistake with, uh, killing uh laurel when after every you know they had built her up so much only to just kind of like cut her out at you know from the legs yeah like right at the midpoint of a season like if i'm not mistaken i I could be wrong here but i think her death was the mid-season finale no it was like three-fourths of the way in was it yeah Mm. but still no matter it doesn't matter when it happened it just it was done wrong and uh no, it wasn't like on a finale or anything. So it felt, uh, it just felt like a shock for the sake of shock. It probably would have played a little better, although I still would have had the same complaints about how she died if they had had uh, done that as a mid-season finale, going into yeah, the, into the if, Christmas break. And I, right, and I know, like her contract was up at that point, because um, she actually finished out the rest of her con- contract by playing the Earth 2 version of right. uh, Siren on, on Flash. But uh, but then, you know, she comes back first kind of as a minor character, and then, you know, they bring her back on pretty much full-time. Yeah, the, the choices they made with that character just, just flummoxed me. But uh, once, we get, once we get past here at Season 4, we're starting into Season 5 where I basically left off and I'm not exactly sure how far in I got. I know I remember Curtis becoming Mr. Terrific and starting to train and having his relationship problems. I made it to the reveal that I know I made it to the reveal that Prometheus was the lawyer guy that had just come into Starling City or Star City or whatever they were calling it at the time. A star. But uh, yeah, I I remember that, and I also remember watching the as I was watching season five. As far as I did going, as things are going on, I'm going this character, this lawyer character, he's got too many parallels to Oliver. I'm sitting going, it's going to be him. He's going to be the guy. And then when they revealed it, I was right, and it just kept going. Like I made it to the episode where Prometheus had Oliver locked up trying to get him to admit that he was killing for killing sake because he enjoyed it trying to show that they were the same person and it was not too long after that i think i maybe watched one more episode after that and then i was done until season eight yeah that no that was um a real low point for me um i almost stopped watching the show then but i i did end up kind of finishing out this season um Going into season five, I was excited because I knew who Prometheus was. Uh, he was this, uh, he was actually introduced while I was reading um, the Justice League comics because he okay. was a, a Justice League caliber villain. And uh, where he, his ability was basically like he 
kind of had a plan for every single Justice League member of how to take them down. He was like the anti-Batman. Yeah, I was thinking that and, as soon as you um, said it. And the comic that you know, the two-parter that he's introduced is uh, really good. And so I was excited going in. And, and you know, the lawyer character, um, I think they were trying to hint at him being like um, this other character that was on the show called the Vigilante, um, which I can't even – I know they probably resolved that, but I, I didn't stick around to see them, you know, with what they eventually did with that character. Uh, but they were. it seemed like they were trying to make it that uh, that was him, but that was just a red herring to uh, – yeah throw people off um i kind of remember at the time i was reading that um some people were speculating that it was tommy that was prometheus and that maybe like uh malcolm merlin had taken tommy to uh um lazarus Lazarus piss and brought him back and then tommy you know ran off and ends up having this parallel um um, experience to Oliver, except instead of, you know, going on the good side, he becomes, you know, travels the world and becomes evil. And I think they, they kind of played off that a bit in the Earth X um, crossover because um, the Earth X right. version of Prometheus was Tommy. But um, I feel like that would have been a better choice, honestly. It, at least to me, it would have been more interesting and it would have saved that story. Um, you know, Season five started off really well for me. I like this idea of uh, Oliver, you know, basically creating a uh, a superhero team, yeah, uh, of of young heroes that uh, he could train. And you had Wild Dog, you had Mister Terrific, and you had Artemis, uh, and also I think uh, Ragman or Ra- I, I don't think it's Ragdoll, but I'll. Uh, no, it's not Ragdoll. No. It's uh, I no, think it's a, Ragman. It's like he had the yeah, I think the, the mummy type rag thingy going on mm-hmm. that he could control. I, yeah, I remember that. And I, I was kind of uh, hoping that was going to play out a little better than it did too. Yeah, he no, because he just kind of disappears, and I don't I don't know if they, he ever really comes back. And uh, I I actually really liked his character a lot, and. Uh, and like I had experience with um, with Mr. with Mr. Terrific from um, the Justice Society of America comics. Um, you know there were some good aspects of this season, um, and then they you know they introduced the new Canary. I have to be honest, I, um, I've never really cared for this uh, for the new Canary, Diana. Um, she's always just felt kind of like flat for me. Um, I've never really been all that interested in her character. And so for me, that felt flat. And then Prometheus's issue was that um, he was too good of a villain. And and there's some parallels that I can see with um, Prometheus as I can with uh, Cicada. Yeah. Where, um, or at least the early part of the Cicada storyline, where Prometheus just, you know, kicked everyone's butts. Um, anytime Oliver would have some sort of plan or some sort of way to take down Prometheus, uh, Prometheus would have a way that 
uh, would outsmart Oliver and basically kind of make him look like a fool. Um, You know, there's this uh, YouTuber that I listen to a lot. uh, He reviews comics. And one of the points that he says that uh, I fully agree with is that um, every issue of a comic should have it that um, even if the hero loses or, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, he's kind of like pushed away for another person to kind of step up. Um, If it's their book, they should at least have one moment where in each issue where they're um, like the star, they're like, you know, they have a a kick butt moment where you're just like, Oh man, this is why I read this book. And season five, I felt really lacked that where, you know, Oliver and and his team just kind of uh, kept up ending up kind of looking like fools. And then, you have that episode where, you know, Prometheus has Oliver captured and it basically spends a whole episode breaking them. And I'm sure they thought that was going to be a really good episode. But yeah, for me, I actually think that's probably really the lowest point of arrow for me. And I get that it's supposed to break him and it is supposed to be a low point. But I I didn't have any fun watching it. And a show should at least be somewhat fun to watch it. And I think that was the point, where even though I finished out the season and started getting into season six, it really just set everything up so that I just uh, kind of stopped caring. And while... Um, you know, going to, to Flash really quick, at least in Flash, you know, even though like Cicada would take away everybody's powers, you know, mm-hmm. eventually got the point where, you know, they started to learn how to deal with not having their abilities. Yeah. And they would, um, and then you would also have Killer Frost helping out and everything. Um, I would actually say the thinker and his storyline was uh, kind of, close and proximate like this was it was the closest that they got to you know reaching the bottom like arrow but um it never fully went to the full like complete breaking of a character like they did with arrow and for me it's just never fully recovered after that um because with season six i started watching it i knew what they were going towards with um you know having this fbi person like working towards catching oliver to put him in prison Mm-hmm. And I knew they would eventually do that. And I just wasn't interested at all. And, you know, it just felt like they were retreading like season one and season two, where the police were trying to catch Oliver. And for me, I was just done with that kind of story. And that's when I just decided that, you know what? I don't need to watch Arrow anymore. Like, I love all the characters, even the new ones, um, with the exception of you know, Black Canary, really. Um, You know, there's things that I really liked about each one of them. And, uh, you know, I'd always look forward to whenever they would team up, like with the crossovers and everything. Mm -hmm. I just never felt the desire to really watch Arrow again until season eight. Yeah. And I'm glad that I've popped back into into season eight because, you know, season eight's done a really good job of just revisiting these previous seasons and uh, reminding you, you know, what you enjoyed about each one. And, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. 
I think it's to the point now where, you know, that, that awful episode of season five has been, you know, behind me for a couple of years now. And uh, once Arrow ends and uh, Flash goes on hiatus for the summer, I actually think I might go back and uh, catch up on Arrow and see what I've missed. Yeah, I may finish out season five and do six and seven, but I may not either. I, I, I don't know that. It's um, one of those. Know, you know, for me, it's one of those things that I might do. Do I might since I have it here and just watch the rest of season five and nights. You know when the kids are in bed and whatnot because Arrow's kind of dark, not not necessarily for child consumption. But right. uh, um, I might finish out season five, and, and only because I own the DVD box set. I have it here. It's not. I don't have to worry about. Uh, you know, whether I have it on whatever streaming service I'm using or if I have to find a gray site to use to, to watch it. But uh, I might finish it out just because I have the DVDs here. I paid for them. I own them. I, I better use them at least once all the way through. Right. Um, you know, um, when I finished uh, when. Well, I, I mean, I can't really spoil season five because obviously Prometheus gets defeated. Right. But I'll, um, you know, once they actually did that and Prometheus uh, and Oliver, um, you know, wins against Prometheus, it was kind of like uh, when Flash takes, you know, gets rid of Cicada. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like, well, like, like whenever um, Oliver took out Deathstroke or something where you were just like, yeah, that's awesome. It was more of just a, Finally, thank goodness this is over. Yeah, yeah, and, and that and you don't want to end a season like that. No, you definitely don't. Definitely don't. It does. It doesn't really get you back in hooked for the next season. Is I'm sure because I didn't get that far with with Arrow, but I'm sure when you went back for season six, you're saying going, they better have something better than they had last season. I'm sure. No, definitely, was, and. Uh, and you know what? It was it was really difficult because I, not only was I dealing with, uh, you know, season six, um, which I really wanted to like because it had um, Ben Linus from Lost as one of okay. the um, antagonist characters, and uh, I really like him, um, I, Michael something. Like he plays a really great villain, and I was enjoying his performance, but overall it just wasn't enough to keep me engaged. Gotcha. And I was struggling with that. And, you know, then you have the thinker storyline on arrow and really it almost, uh, ended my interest in, in the CW shows. And really it took this podcast of us, uh, talking about flash that actually got me to go back and finish season five, uh, season four. And, uh, really <laughs> if it wasn't for this, like I, I may be, I might have. I think if I knew Crisis was coming, I would have come back. But uh, it was my lowest point with the the CW verse. I probably would have just only stuck around with watching uh, Legends. But you know what? Um, to end on a good note, I would say that no matter how frustrating Arrow would get, it would frustrate me only because all the characters on the show are so good. Yeah. And all that, you know, you don't want to keep seeing like Oliver just, you know, keep looking like a fool because you know he's better than that. And uh 
you know, I, I came to really care about these characters a lot. And I think, you know, it's going to feel weird, you know, going forward not to have, uh, you know, the Arrow cast showing up in future crossovers. Right. And, and speaking to that, though, once they get done with Crisis, it's probably going to be a bit before we have another big, huge crossover like this. I, their, their multi-show crossovers, I think, have been planned in such a way that they were leading up to Crisis on Infinite right. Earth. And uh, I think it was because uh, I, I mentioned this to you before um, getting on the air, but uh, for for the listeners, um, recording time last night, um, which was Wednesday the 18th, I got on with on the on the podcasting airwaves with uh, Flash TV Talk. They were doing their Grandma Esther's eggnog induced Colin extravaganza part six as they do one every year at Christmas time. And uh, I got on. We were talking with them. Listening, I was talking with them. So uh, we got. Uh, if you want to listen to that, that that I think will be put out probably tomorrow. It'll go on. Uh, on the podcast, if you want to look that up and just listen to me talk with Bo and Bell about the flash a little bit and what our mutual theories were there. Um, but one of the, one of the guys that was on after me, cause I listened to it through to the end was saying something along the lines of how they need to, you know, take a break and just do like, maybe, you know, here comes like say Kara Supergirl comes over to, to, to flash for an episode as a crossover or Flash goes to Supergirl's show, or or Supergirl goes to Batwoman's show, or just like small crossovers like we used to get when it was just Flash and Arrow. Just because after you do Crisis on Infinite Earths, you, you can't top it. It's not going to be something that can be topped as far as no, the crossover the only, goes. The only thing that I could see maybe um, topping it would be uh, Blackest Night, where... Um, you would have the right. dead characters coming back and trying to kill the heroes. Uh, but no, nothing, you know, crisis is the be all end all crossover to be sure. And I, I would agree with that. I think smaller crossovers, um, I would welcome that. Yeah. They, they've done their thing with the, with the big multi-show crossovers that take two or three nights, the mini series. And, uh, I've enjoyed them, even though the uh, the Dominators one was a little little off putting, but uh, Crisis on Earth X was great, and so far Crisis on Infinite Earths. You want to hear uh, what we've done about that? Just go back and listen to the episode before this one. Um, but yeah, they they just they're just going to need to take a step back and calm things down. And, and to your point about Blackest Night, that would be a good one to try to do later on, but we'd need a Green Lantern show first. No, and that's true. And, well, there is going to be one on um, the on HBO Max, which is uh, connected with um, the CW, who's going to be a Green Lantern Corps TV show. Hmm. I'll have to look into that when the time comes. Yeah, I think... I think J.J. Abrams might be involved with that. I know he's doing a a Superman movie, but I think he might be, it's either him. There's someone big that's kind of connected with, uh, with the show. Mm, but anyway, I think though, we need to start wrapping up here. We've 
At this point in the recording, although the episode probably won't be this long, we're we're knocking on an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, I will say um, the interesting thing, uh, one other interesting thing that uh, the show did was that uh, it introduced uh, Stephen Armel to uh, the wrestling world um, because there was a character, I think, either in three, season three or season four that was played by um, Cody Rhodes, who is the son of uh, Dusty Rhodes, um, brother of a uh, Dustin Rhodes slash uh, Gold Dust uh, okay. from uh, the WWE. And uh, he played this character that uh, where he was killed but brought back with drugs and uh, came back for like one or two episodes. Um, he more of like a minor recurring villain. But because of that, he you know um, developed a friendship with Steven. And uh, through that... Uh, actually brought Steven on for a tag team match in uh, SummerSlam. I think <laughs> SummerSlam uh, 2015, it was uh, Steven Armel and uh, Neville, who's uh, now in a AEW, I believe. I, I don't remember what his current name is, though. Versus uh, Cody Rhodes as uh, this Stardust character. And then... Um, I forget uh, his partner, but uh, they actually—I watched a bit of it. I have to—I want to watch the whole episode, uh, but it was pretty good. Um, so I, I think that's—you know—you're not going to see—you know—a whole lot of shows where uh, you know Stephen, uh, where like the main character uh, is able to actually participate in a wrestling match, and that has to do with you know what great shape Steven's been in with uh, oh, yeah. being on Hero. And I even saw him on uh, one of those like um like a American ninja shows. Uh he was like on a celebrity version. He actually made it pretty far too. So that was a, a lot of fun to watch. Cool. Uh but oh go ahead. Oh I just said cool. No um I think the footage of that is on TV as well. Uh, on uh, YouTube as well. If you haven't seen that so thought to send that to you after uh, the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Steven, like, I'm going to miss him, you know, whether I I watch his show or not, like he was always uh, great in the crossovers and, uh, yeah, like, uh, it's just a lot of cool characters that, uh, I, I will definitely miss. And it'll be interesting to see where, um, Green Arrow and the Canaries goes from here. No, I agree. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. As I think uh, the information is that that show will be taking place in the future, 2040. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play out. Green Arrow, um, yeah, 30 years, 30 well, not 30, 21 years into the future from where we're sitting right now. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to be able to to watch uh, Mia Smoke as uh, the Green Arrow. Um, but I agree with you totally. I think it's going to the Arrowverse is going well. Well, the probably the Flashverse we should call it now will be lacking in in certain ways with the with the characters played by Stephen Amell and all the others, Diggle, Felicity, Roy, all of them. We're gonna miss seeing yeah. all of those characters because, like, uh, 
even if you stopped, like I did watching it in the middle of season five, or like like Greg did was stopped watching at the end of season five, beginning of season six, you still developed a interest in those characters, and you enjoyed seeing them when they were coming into the crossovers, like they have been, just with Crisis and all the ones before. Um, yeah, yeah, he's really been this uh, universe's Batman. Yes, he has been, and he's been referred to that way numerous times. So, Stephen, if you're me- if you happen to be listening, which I seriously doubt, but if you happen to be, your character you will be missed. And thank you for all your good work on the show that brought us all these shows that we talk about and and watch. Yeah, if it wasn't because of what you did, you know, um, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. So on that note, if you want to follow us throughout the uh, throughout the holidays and the and the hiatus, I can be found as always at drallen two hundred one. The show is at Barry V Eobard, and the website will be listed in the links because it's going to be sometime next year before I get that shortened down to something I can actually put in this ending. Greg, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Gregzors. That's G R E G Z O R Z. And if you just want to send us an email, and please send us an email because I've been putting this email out every episode and nobody's emailing. Come on, use it. Please don't let it sit there and collect us. It is reverseflashtime at gmail.com. So with that, everybody, and have a great Christmas. Happy New Year. And uh, we will come back at you after crisis. Um, there will probably be some content coming out. i got a couple episodes in the can that need to be have some polish put on them, but... A couple of reverse flash times should be coming out to uh, to give you some uh, content uh, after Christmas and New Year's. See you then. Chat with you later. Speed Force, a Maple City Media production.